0: Let's start big. Let's talk about Arizona's most prolific treasure story, and that is the Lost Dutchman's Gold Mine. East of Phoenix, Arizona, up in the superstitious mountains, lies a hidden treasure responsible for ruining the lives of more than a few of its seekers, at least according to the legend. This treasure is named the Lost Dutchman Mine and the legends surrounding it are as vast as they are inconsistent. One of the most well-documented accounts can be found in A Course of the Dutchman's Gold, written by Helen Corbin. It pertains to a man named Jacob Waltz, a native of Württemberg, Germany, who moved to the U.S. in 1846. He became... A naturalized citizen in July 1861, and thereafter became a prospector between 1872 and 1878. Waltz, along with his colleague Jacob Weisner, was said to have found gold in a quartz vein that was around 18 inches wide. Then they proceeded to mine some ore which they cached nearby. So the work continued on that mine for some time until Wisner's untimely death at the hands of a band of Apaches. Distraught, Waltz decided to leave the mine behind. He took enough ore to sustain himself, concealed the mine's entrance, and never looked back. He also never bothered, to file a claim for the mine. I believe it is for the fear of it, of it of discovery. Waltz moved to Phoenix and set up a farm by the Salt River. Waltz then transitioned to a life of farmsteading from prospecting. One of uh, his customers was a woman named Julia Thomas, a baker whom he delivered eggs to Around That was in around 1891 time frame. Uh, Waltz found out that Julia was in debt. Uh, With her bakery on the line, Waltz took pity on her and offered to help her pay off the debt. He then showed her some of his gold, or valued at that time about $1,500, much to Julia's bewilderment. In her time, knowing him, she only thought of him as a farmer of modest means. Waltz then told her that he had experience in trading gold from Casa Grande and that he would ship that ore to a smelter in San Francisco. He expressed that he had a lot of familiarity with how gold trades are done and promised to lend her most of the returns from this one. He then proceeded to tell her about the cash and the mine. He professed that he deliberately gave up the rights to it, recounting his grief due to the loss of his partner decades prior. Waltz admitted to Julia that his sorrow was such that he never wanted to work there again. And even if he wanted to, he continued, he was too old for prostitution prospecting nevertheless. Waltz promised that he would take Julia to the mine and pass over ownership to her once she has seen it for herself, and he would ask only for a small share of the wealth. He and Julia planned to go to Superstitious in the spring of the following year, along with Julia's adoptive son, Reinhard Petrasch. He was planning to take uh, the remaining uh, gold and give it to them. However, things would take an unfortunate unfortunate turn when Waltz's house was flooded that summer. The Salt River is by and large uh, relatively dry, but that summer a torrential rains had swelled with excessive runoff. Uh, Waltz uh, would catch pneumonia from this flood and die from it on October 25th, 1891. As scant few months before they planned trip, just before he died, he supposedly told Julia and Reinhardt that there was a portion of gold ore he set aside for himself under his fireplace. He was also reported to have drawn them uh, a rough map that revealed the location of the mine. But Julia and Reinhardt would unfortunately be robbed of Waltz's final gift, and even more distressful was the fact that they would never manage to find the mine. As sparse in details as this story is, it was enough for thousands of treasure seekers to trek to superstitious in search of the lost Dutchman mine. Several of these seekers would lose their lives with some even meeting unexplainable or grisly fates. Only a few individuals were able to rein in uh, the hunger for Waltz's treasure trove and come home with something of at least some substance. One such individual was a man named Bob Corbin in 1957. Corbin started to look in that year for the legendary mine, but he was not after the treasure. Instead, his curiosity was um, about the lost Dutchman mine. And it was piqued when uh, he first read about it in a magazine as he was serving in the navy in 1948 his curiosity compelled him to move to arizona from indiana so he can pursue the mystery of the lost dutchman mind but his move to arizona was not immediate driven by inquisitiveness um, instead of greed which was the key to his success uh, Corbin was able to avoid the pitfalls that besieged many treasure hunters before him. He was not obsessed like they were. Rather, he treated his hunt as a hobby. After he left the Navy, he first went home to Indiana, and his primary focus uh, became high education. He earned a bachelor's degree in Indiana University and eventually a law degree. Bob Corbin only moved to Arizona in June 1957, uh, nine years after he had first heard of Lost Dutchman Mine. He was able to rely on his law practice to settle comfortably in the state and sustain his hobby but that isn't to say he wasn't excited. Bob visited the two superstition mountains on his first week in Arizona. However, he was an inexperienced um, uh, with the Arizona desert and was thus unprepared for summers in that state. The first trip cemented in his mind uh, that the best time to the prospecting was in the winter, when uh, there was much groundwater to be found and temperatures were lower. His unfamiliarity with the environment also told him that he should do far more research on the area of the target of his search. At the start of his hunt, Corbyn's day job was a county attorney. He later served as Arizona's attorney general from 1879 to 1991. His career in Arizona was taxing, but he still found time to visit the superstitious uh, and make progress on his search. Bob had a partner, Tom Collenborn, and together they researched the story of Jacob Waltz and the area where the mine was allegedly hidden. They digested old documents and publications looking for indications to prove Waltz's account. Throughout the study, Bob would switch back and forth from believing to doubting in the existence of the mine. In one phase of the hunt, Bob was beset with such doubt that he did not return to the superstitious uh, for seven years. But now, after all the research, he was now convinced that there really was a mine concealed or filled in in somewhere in the superstition mountains. Most treasure hunters who are uh, in for the money would not be willing to devote 30 years of their life to finding the lost Dutchman mine. But Bob Corbin was different. To him, the search uh, is its own reward. As a hobby, it lets him escape from the demands of being an attorney, camp out in the wilderness, and be more active. He would cook his own dinner at the campfire and gaze up at the dazzling Arizona desert sky. As Corbin would say, there are so many more stars visible in the mountains. And even better, his treasure tracking hobby also sharpened his skills as a lawyer. Both in law and in treasure hunting, Bob had to analyze evidence and separate fact from fiction. He was able to train his intuition, learning which hunches to follow and which tough questions to ask in and out of work. He was able to hone his curiosity and use it as his most powerful tool, something any, any treasure tracker should emulate. I would strongly suggest to follow his his work uh, if you want to get ahead of anybody, if you're interested in Superstitious uh, Mountains Lost Dutchmen.